This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. It's the final edition, the final show, the final Hockey Central of the week. Final Flames game before the All-Star break coming up tonight as well. Calgary playing on the second night of a back-to-back in Seattle tonight. 8 o'clock Calgary time puck drop. 7 o'clock pregame here on Sports at 960. That's a 7 o'clock puck drop local time if you are indeed in Seattle. Kraken are the top team in the Pacific Division. Calgary has got to play a lot better against the Kraken than they did last night against the Chicago Blackhawks. A 5-1 loss against one of the worst teams in the league. It might have been one of the worst games I've seen from them this season due to the combination of who they were playing against, the way that they played, lack of energy, lack of execution. Again, against a, a team that was essentially designed to lose hockey games this season. We saw lots of line shuffling. At one point, Nazem Kadri, Jonathan Huberto, Jacob Peltier were on a line together. Piqued my interest. Nothing really seemed to work out. Uh, Jonathan Huberto said last night after the game, obviously it's unacceptable. Um, you know, the way that the team came out, they started slowly. They played poorly. There was a ton of odd man rushes. The Blackhawks had a ton of chances against. I know that Jacob Markstrom hasn't had a great season. He hasn't been playing particularly well. Uh, but it's not like anyone looked great in front of him. So this isn't one of those games where I'm like, well, maybe they should have put Dan Vladar in net. Uh, no, I'm not going to pin this one on the goalie when everyone in front of him just looked off. There was a ton of errors on the back end. Um, you know, I think it was a tough night from from the D group. And obviously the news today, Christina getting put on injured reserve doesn't really help with the uh, wanting to tighten up on defense part of the equation. I feel like a broken record when I talk about Chris Tanev sometimes. The team just plays better when he is on it. Brett Ritchie was also activated from the injured reserve last little bit of Flames news before we get to our first guest of the show. He has missed the last 11 games and has not played since December 31st. Let's go to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline now, because our first guest, excuse me, I feel like I'm losing my voice here, is JT Brown. He is a former NHLer, current color analyst for the Seattle Kraken. JT, what's up? How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I uh, gave me a second to catch my breath here, apparently. Lost my voice. Five minutes into the show. It's going great. It's going awesome. awesome. It's a good day. (laughs) So the Calgary Flames are heading into Seattle. It's the final game for the Flames before the All-Star break. Seattle's got this game and then one more on Saturday. The Seattle Kraken, after a disappointing year number one, are sitting first in the Pacific right now with one of the best offenses in the league, much improved. How are they doing it right now? Well, I mean, I think you you look at the the additions that they uh, were able to add this offseason. It's made a a big difference compared to uh, to last year. But uh, you know, so overall, I mean, I don't think necessarily system wise they're really changing a whole lot. Uh, you just have a a good group of guys buying in 
you know, from the start of the season. And again, when you add guys like Burakovsky, York Strand, you get a full season of uh, Matty Veneers as well. And then on the back end, you, a guy like uh, Schultz, who uh, just got on the IR today, actually. But, you know, when you add pieces like that to an existing team, um, you know, and they gel right away, I think that's the, the question mark always. When you, when you add pieces, are they going to gel? And for Seattle, you know, it didn't take very much time. Absolutely. I, I mean, I wanted to talk about one. Of, I mean, I don't think we're going to see Maddie Beniers in the game tonight. Looks like he's not expected to play, but he has just been showing through this. I guess, you know, we're well over the halfway point now. It, it just seems like it's his calder to lose at this point in the season. I mean, he's been playing fantastic. Uh, you can see him when he has the puck, how much, you know, skill he, he has just with it, but knowing, you know, anticipating the right plays, getting the puck to, his wingers on the the outside, but then getting himself back into the play. He doesn't just stop there. He doesn't have to do it all. He can. He can skate through guys if he needs to. But uh, you know, I think he's very good at distributing the puck, getting it to to where it needs to go. And his defensive play has been fantastic too. I think a lot of his defensive plays are what leads to you know him getting that offensive chance, whether it's a good back check or breaking up a play below the goal line and then starting his engine going the other way. How vital has the Kraken's depth been this season? They have a really good top six. You've got Jordan Eberle and, uh, you know, Maddie Beniers, we talked about, Bjorkstrand, uh, Burakovsky. Like, there's talent in the top six, but they're getting offense from up and down the lineup, too. It really just seems like they can get a goal from anywhere, and that's made them pretty difficult to play against for, for a lot of teams. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been it's been huge for them. There's been times where, you know, your top six, don't produce for a couple of games, but they're still winning because they've been able to get, you know, supplemental scoring from the depth. I mean, if you look at a guy like Sprong, who's already sitting 28 points, he's got a career high already, and there's still a lot of season left to go. Or even a Donato, who's been able to move up and down the lineup. He's got four goals in his last three games as well. I mean, there's players all through a healthy Brandon Tanev this year being able to move up and down in that more of the bottom six role, but scoring and being able to make plays that way. I think just overall you can do, it makes it a little bit easier on your team, right? And it may be even easier on your, your top six, knowing that, you know, your bottom two lines are scoring. And, you know, before a couple of injuries, there was a point where it was, you know, Morgan Geeky and Donato uh, that were, you know, in and out of the lineup on that fourth line. And both of them were around 13, 14 points at the time. So, you're scratching guys that, you know, 30, 35 games in, we're, we're producing. We're having, you're having that. It's a good problem to have, maybe not from the player's standpoint, but someone's got to go in. Someone obviously has to go out, but the amount of production that the bottom six has had for the Kraken has been fantastic. How was Eli Tolvin and looked in Seattle after he was picked up on waivers out of Nashville? Well, he can shoot the puck. I can tell you that. Um, he's looked really good. Obviously, you know, getting a, a different opportunity um, can definitely help a player sometimes, you know, new scenery and change of things, but he's gelled really well with the Yanni Gordon Bjorkstrand line. Um, again, getting him on the power play, getting him on his one-timer side, allowing him to really just shoot the puck and focus on that. But, you know, I've seen that line come together and play pretty well uh, since, I don't since he came or since he got into the lineup, because it took him a while from the, uh, from when they were picked up off waivers to get in, but he's been fantastic as far as I can see. I mean, obviously he has the offensive skill and then the work ethic to be with a guy like the Orchard and Yanni Gord, you know, to play along those two.
I know a lot of people didn't really like that the Kraken chose Vince Dunn over Vladimir Tarasenko in expansion. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of, you know, we can revisit a lot of what happened in the expansion draft and what happened in year one. But it really feels like Vince Dunn is one of the guys that is showing people pretty quickly in year two. Uh, yeah, this is why the Kraken made the decision that they did. Of course, Vladimir Tarasenko would look good, but Vince Dunn is is playing pretty well, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, that pair of uh, him and Larson have been playing every single game together. Um, you know, I think it's just that that confidence for him, you know, to be in line. He's getting a, a larger role. He's getting more on that top power play unit, more power play minutes than maybe he did in year one. Um, I just think, too, just that, that confidence going out every single game is the most important part for him, and he's relied upon it. I think he knows that, and the team knows that they need him to be at his best, and he is right now. And I think just the timing of being able to jump up in the play whenever he wants to because you have a guy like Adam Larson you're playing with that you knows a solid rock. I mean, he can jump up and play offensively, too. But on the defensive side, you know, Larson has been great, and I think that frees up Dunn to do exactly what he's doing, you know, this year. We're talking to JT Brown, former NHLer, currently a color analyst for the Seattle Kraken on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline, teeing up the Flames Kraken game tonight. That's 7 o'clock in Seattle, 8 o'clock in Calgary. You can catch the pregame here on Sports at 960 at 7 o'clock. It, it looks like Martin Jones is the projected starter tonight. What can you tell us about the season that he's had in Seattle this year? Oh, he's He's been great. I mean, you look at a couple stretches in the run, especially the, the road stretch. A couple of weeks back, uh, you know, when it, being able to win as a team seven total games. But, uh, you know, I think for me, you know, you just watch Martin Jones and he's making the saves he needs to make. I think if you look at whether it's goals against, save percentage is not going to be the highest in the league, but the wins, you know, that's what, what's important. He's making the saves when he needs to make them at the time, stealing, you know, maybe a, what you would thought would be a goal from the other team. You know, those are the, the ones you need. And then, like you said, Seattle's offense has been much better. So, you don't need him to make 50 saves a game or steal how many. You only need him to steal a couple. You know, a couple of those big-time saves a game, and he's been able to do that. And Philip Grubauer has improved as well. I know it seems like we're going to see Martin Jones tonight against Calgary, and that's probably what Flames fans are looking at. But he had a pretty tough start in Seattle last year. How have you seen him kind of stabilize this season, JT? Well, I mean, he's been playing well. I think the, one of those situations, again, where the numbers may not uh, may not go in his favor, um, but I think if you look, especially, you know, since around December 1st, you know, the last 11 games that he has played, you know, he's been a lot better. Obviously, he got injured early in the season, but uh, when you look at his numbers, you look how he's playing. He's playing all right. I think he's bouncing back. It's starting to show this last 11 games you know, going back to that old form. But obviously it had to be, you know, a tough year last year and then the start this year. But you can see the, the mental fortitude from a guy like that. Uh, you know, he's done it before. He's carried the the load for a team before. And, you know, now we had, there's two strong goalies. It's this kind of the similar situation where you're looking at Donato and Geeky and someone has to go out of lineup. Well, it's a good problem to have to have two goalies that can play and that have shown that they can play. Absolutely. And without Maddie Beniers in the lineup, you know, what can we expect from the forward group kind of moving around? Is there somebody new that might get injected in or are we just going to see, you know, the top six shuffle around? Is there anything that we should expect with uh, him not expecting um, to play tonight? 
Uh, obviously, there'll be a little bit of shuffling uh, with the lines. I think you'll get a, a guy like Donato moving back to the center. He's played center before. Uh, he's been up and down, all the way up and down the lineup. Uh, I think John Hayden should be in the lineup as well. It's po- possible. I mean, they did call up uh, McCormick as well from the uh, from Coachella. But I think the one thing for Seattle that's important is the way they play doesn't change. And, yes, Matty Beneers is a huge piece, and it's not like you can really just pick somebody out and say, hey, go do his job. I think it's a collective effort. You know, it's the kind of the cliched next man up. But at the same time, you know, the way Seattle plays and when they're playing their best, it's more of the hard forechecking game, getting in on pucks, making sure – that you're limiting time and space for the other team. And yes, Maddie does a great job of that. But at the other end, you're not playing a complete skill game where you're just doing a track meet up and down the ice where, you know, that's where Maddie might be able to shine a little bit more. But when you get into that just straight north, hard forechecking, you know, trying to just make it tough on teams, that's where they've had the success being able to move guys in and out of pieces, you know, throughout the lineup. Right. I feel like the Kraken are one of those teams where a lot of people look at them and they're kind of just waiting for them to to drop off. I had a guest on yesterday who said, uh, you know, something along the lines of, you know, I feel like I believe in the Edmonton Oilers as the top team in the Pacific more than I do with the Seattle Kraken. The Oilers, of course, are in the wild card and the Kraken are top in the Pacific division. When you look at this team, like, do you think they're slowly starting to kind of erase that asterisk people put on them? Like, it just seems like people are kind of looking for reasons to say that this is going to fall apart. Yeah, I I think that's a mean fair for people to say right like to because they haven't shown it over a long period of time it's only year two uh new roster but i think you know just coming from a player side i think the only thing that matters is the 23 people in the locker room right like their belief and if they believe there's no limits to i guess what uh you can accomplish obviously i mean they've beat some very good teams so the confidence within that room has to be pretty high and uh you know when you're playing well and everybody's got the same mindset same goal uh, you just kind of block out the outside noise. And for them, you know, they should be a confident group that they should be able to go up against anybody and, you know, put their, their best foot forward and, and at least make a game out of it, right? I know the team has a league leading 10.8 shooting percentage at five on five. And I, and I think that's a reason why people could maybe be cautious about how good this team really is. Like, are they a really good team? Or are they just having really good fortune when it comes to shooting? But like when you look at that, is this like a personnel thing? I'm sure it's a mix of good fortune, good luck, but maybe just that injection of talent in the forward group this year. I mean, it seems like uh, they struggle to miss sometimes. Yeah, I mean, if you, I think if you look at last year, they they had plenty of scoring opportunities, just weren't uh, you know finding the back of the net. But you know, I look at this year too. A lot of uh, their opportunities five on five. I mean, a lot of it's them working for that opportunity to get to that position. And I wouldn't say. It's a, a fluky goal, you know, many goals going off triple deflections off skates and going in, you know, guys are, are working to get to the front of the net, you know, to create a screen, which that helps then that your shooting percentage should be higher if you're having guys in front of the net, if you're going to be able to take away the goaltender's eyes. So I think for me, it's more of them working and I guess being on the same page than uh, maybe so luck, but obviously that is a very high percentage. Uh, if that stays, who knows? But at the end of the day, I think that, their offense is significantly improved. I don't think anybody can doubt that. 
Right. I feel like it's a conversation we have in Calgary a lot when we're looking at the Flames. They always kind of have, you know, a ton of shot attempts. They have a lot of volume, but they're not necessarily getting to the middle and getting to the net front where it is easier to score those goals. This is maybe a bit more of the crack and, you know, doing the work to get into the high danger areas, the ice where, yeah, it's a more high percentage shot. They're not just, you know, it's not big like slap shots from the point. Yeah. Using your cycles, using behind the net, you know, finding that, that high slot uh, area, finding an open pocket, but less than just, you know, we get the puck and we're throwing at the net just to see what happens. And, again, there's nothing wrong with that either because that can create scrambles. That can create, you know, the defense to turn around. Now they got to find the puck. But for Seattle, they want to possess the puck. They want to keep the puck below the goal line and then use the defense as they see fit. But there's just a little bit different styles. They're not trying to just uh, swing the puck at the net for uh, for no reason. Right, right. Not just, you know, blind point shots going off everyone's shins coming out of the Kraken. <laughs> is, uh, is, is Jared McCann somebody who's, you know, I'm, I'm sure he gets a lot of appreciation and attention in the local market, uh, but I feel like there's been a lot discussed about the, the Kraken, if, whether it's Vince Dunn or Jordan Eberle, Burkowski, uh, Matty Beniers. seems like Jared McCann is putting together a really solid year, and, and he's pretty valuable to what they're doing right now. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, with those other guys having such, you know, prominent years as well, he kind of flies under the radar a little bit. Obviously, you know, 23 goals right now is nothing to – I mean, when you look at what he's been able to do, that's not, it's not very easy, right? There's a lot of people obviously have more. We, we can go through the list, but, you know, he's been able to do a very good job with obviously getting himself in the spot, using his best asset, which is his shot. And, you know, obviously having a guy like that year too, you know, he wants to be here. He's got, he's got his deal. He's here for, you know, the foreseeable future. And you can build around people like McCann, obviously, maybe one of them are a quiet leader within the room, but at the same time, you know, he shows it up every night with his play and his passion and, you know, his offense ability is off the charts as well. So there's a couple guys on this team that can really, uh, really shoot the puck. Awesome. Well, great stuff, JT. Thank you so much for the preview and enjoy the game tonight. Uh, thank you. Take care. There goes JT Brown, former NHLer, currently a color analyst for the Seattle Kraken. Uh, great stuff. Good information. I really do find it interesting because I, I try to watch the Kraken as much as I can. I, I do really enjoy watching them as a team, but I think you see stats like their shooting percentage, particularly at five on five, and you start to wonder, okay, are they a good team or are they just getting a ton of puck luck right now? And my guess is that they're a bit closer to the former than the latter. I think this is a good team in Seattle, and I think it's important to get the context of the fact that a lot of their opportunities are on the inside. They're getting into the slot. They're getting to the net front. These aren't, you know, they're not shooting almost 11% at five on five, just blasting shots from the point. They're putting in the work. They're getting to the areas where there are higher percentages of scoring those goals. And again, as I mentioned on the chat with JT, I feel like that's something that we talk about the Flames often and what they need to work on. It's not just about the shot volume and the expected goals and how many shots you, you throw on net. You've got to get to those, those places where it's easier to actually score from. So we're going to head to a quick break. And also, I've just got to say, in, in all of my years of podcasting and radio and TV, 
never lost my voice before. So thanks for hanging in with me. Yeah. Got a note off that one. You know, the show's going great today. It is. It was just a couple seconds of a lost voice. It's okay. JT came in right at the the right moment. No Logan Gordon today to save me. So thanks for thanks for the support on the text line. I appreciate it. We're gonna head to a quick break, and we're gonna bring in Julian McKenzie from the Athletic in the second block. We're gonna do a bit of a you know a Flames chat. He has a story on the Athletic about Timo Meyer. What makes him valuable? Could he be a fit? For the Flames, I personally don't see how they could make that money work and if they would have the assets to give up, but I think it's an interesting thought to, uh, it's a good exercise to talk about. Timo Meyer, he's one of the players getting the most buzz ahead of the deadline. We'll talk to Julian McKenzie about that and a little bit more coming up next on Hockey Central on Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right. Welcome back to the program. It's the final segment of the week. We had a tough start. Going to be honest. Tough start. Lost my voice. JT Brown called us from, you know, I don't even know what I was like. Oh, I was going to say, you know, place without service. We had some technical issues. I drank some water. Julian McKenzie is going to hop on. I believe he has cellular reception. So let's test it out on the Atlas pizza guest hotline. Here's Julian McKenzie. He covers the Calgary flames for the athletic Julian. Are you in a place with cellular reception? Testing, one, two, three. Yeah, Testing, one, two, on? three. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got him. He's here. What's up? It's been a while. How are you? It's been a minute. Uh, it's been good. Still enjoying the Calgary life. It's, uh, you know, it's looking outside, seeing the snow. It's uh, kind of thought, you know, uh, I'd see more snow during this winter. But uh, I find the weather's been, uh, the weather's actually been not bad. It's been pretty mild this week, so uh, I'm pretty happy about that. And obviously, the Flames are never boring, so uh, I'm pretty happy. How are you doing? <laughs> doing well, as you heard. I, you know, you know, the first block had some hiccups, but we're doing well now. Everything's great. Finish strong. Yeah, I, uh, I've always said because I lived in Ottawa before I moved to Calgary. Calgary winters as cold as it can get, and you know, sometimes there can be a ton of snow. I think there was one weekend where it was like minus 40 uh, and Bono and I, Bono is my dog for listeners who don't know. We just stayed inside, you know, he just, you know, went outside very quickly. He did his thing, came right back in. Uh, it's still better than Ottawa winters. I don't know how you feel about that coming from Montreal, but I just feel like the dry cold is way better than living in Ottawa where it was just cold and wet and yep, just it's, overall it's this, sad. Yeah, it's the same deal in Montreal, too. It was very uh, wet, cold, and just the fact that, like, you're going outside, like, minus 15 or 20, and it's just blistery and windy and stuff, and just, yeah, it's, it's the same deal. Like, I don't even mind when it's, like, minus 25 here, just for whatever reason, just walking around. Like, it's cold, obviously, but, yeah, there's something about that dry cold that's uh, a little bit more yeah. bearable. I have to admit, I, I underestimated uh, how bearable the winter would be here. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's an awesome city. Again, it's been a while since we've had you on the show. I think 
you know, things were still in the more, you know, confidently optimistic about the Calgary Flames season. They have one more game left before the bye week. They're coming off of a loss against the Chicago Blackhawks. They're on the outside looking into the wild card race right now. They're three points back of Edmonton, who ranks first in the wild card. What do we make of the Calgary Flames at this point in the season now that you've kind of been around them for over half the year? What what do we make of this team, Julian? It's so hard to to really like get a good sense of them, right? Because you we we like some people have made the point earlier this week that if you look at how this team has played since the beginning of December, we're not just talking about a 500 level hockey club. We're talking about a team that's played over 600%. Like they're they're, 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 they have games, they have stretches of games where they've looked good. But when you consider efforts like yesterday's game against Chicago, it's it's almost maddening because you've, we've seen this team play better. We've seen this team uh, at least put together, if not 60-minute efforts, but just enough to get it going. But for whatever reason, against teams that are below them in the standings, younger, quicker teams that maybe – weren't projected to be better than the Flames, but are are just looking better than them that night. They've just struggled too many times against those teams, and they now find themselves in a position where they're on the outside looking in for a playoff spot. It's it's just it's weird. Like I, I consider the one side where it's like, all right, like maybe this team just doesn't have it. Maybe just in terms of the chemistry, they're they're still they still need more time to figure things out, and maybe that has to spread into into next season. Maybe Daryl Sutter's coaching style just isn't suitable for this particular group. I mean, remember, they've gone through all those changes uh, in the offseason and with all those new guys in, maybe it just doesn't take the same way. But history has also shown that teams who have had a lot of overhaul in the offseason have found ways to get chemistry going, and they've made the playoffs. So I, I, I don't I, – I, I hate to be a cop-out with this answer, but I genuinely <laughs> don't know – what to make of this yeah. Calgary Flames team. I don't know if they're bad. I don't know if they're good. They're just they're just a team. You know, like yeah, they're I just don't fine. Know. They're in the mushy middle. That's what they are. And I feel that yep. I think that's fine. I think we've seen the signs of that for a while now. You know, I, I think there's enough proof to show us that this team is where where they should be. You know, we hear all the time, you know, the the team is what their record is and the record would suggest to us that the Calgary Flames are a middling team in the NHL right now. And that's fine. I mean, it's not what we expected. It's not what anyone thought, or it's not probably what they should be after, you know, the off season that they had. And and some of these changes you're going all in, right? Like that was what, that was the direction the team steered into, right? There was kind of the the three-pronged, you know, you could retool on the fly, you could minimize the damage and try to win now, or you could blow it up and, you know, tank hard for Bedard and start all over again because what's the middle is death. We don't want to be in the middle, and we're not going to contend without Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, and they kind of did the retool. Let's minimize the damage. Let's keep trucking on and try to win in the next two, three, four years. We can see that based on the contracts and the age of these guys. And yeah, it's not working out. <laughs> you know, this isn't really a year where we can say, yeah, it's fine to be in the middle. I feel like fans are sick of that. Yeah. Especially, you know, if you're too good to tank and you're not good enough as this year of all years with not just with Connor Bedard, but everyone's saying this draft as a whole is like, 
like supposed to have some pretty deep talents, you know, like through the first round and on. So like, yeah, to be in that mushy middle, like it's not an ideal place. And even for the flames, like they're like, they're trying their absolute best to like be slightly above that mushy middle. And they've been above that mushy middle. And if they go on one good run, if they go on one good run where they put themselves, you know, firmly in a wild card spot or in a bottom three or a top or, or in one of those three spots, probably the third place in their division. What are we going to say then? We're just going to be like, oh, hey, the Flames figured it out. Like, it's just this yeah. year is just so hot and cold. And it's just really frustrating for me to kind of put a pin on on what they really are. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a difficult time to try to evaluate who this team really is because we've seen flashes of what they could be but i don't think we've seen them string it together long enough to be confident that that is who the flames are it almost seems to me that this group's ceiling is a bit lower than last year's but so is the floor i think that's kind of what i've made of this team compared to last season and maybe that's unfair. Maybe they'll raise that ceiling. Maybe they'll lift the floor up. But I think we've seen more bad than last year and a little less of the the dominant good. Uh, but I know last year it took them until, you know, February around this time to really go on a heater and kick themselves from the wild card up to the Pacific. I think the question is, do you think that this team has that kind of run in them? And I, I, I need to see it. I need to see it. I, at this point, like, I, I really need to see it from this group. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, hey, I think they could do it. Or I'm not going to be here and be like, you know, no, I'm going to be down on them. I need to see it. I, I'm saying for me, and I'm sure a lot of Flames fans feel the same way, Jacob Markstrom, we've, we've talked about him all year. I think he's he's generally still trying to put together some good efforts. He's got to find a way to make that work. That defensive core so many instances like we've we've one thing about this team that i think almost as frustrating as anything else is that i don't think they're that sound defensively as i thought they would be like the fact that you're seeing guys getting caught out of position on points those odd man rushes are making them look bad too like that needs to be structured and obviously on the offense like you know you you need they obviously they obviously have to work hard to to get more of those goals they don't have the top line in hockey anymore as they did last year but they still have offensive guys. And I still think if if they put themselves in a decent position, I still think the Flames would be better off trying to get some offensive piece there, uh, even if it's a rental piece to, to help get them there. But it's really on their guys to to put them in that position. You know, I, I really think if you look at how this team is set in the standings and you look ahead the deadline, a lot of people are thinking, hey, man, it'd be great if this team could get a team of Meyer or, or if they get <laughs> – uh, another offensive piece that could help. What about a Travis Konechny or, or, you know, Anthony Duclair might be like a low key option, even though he's been hurt for all that time. Like yeah. if, if the team doesn't put itself in a good enough position over these next few weeks, whether they go on a heater or they put themselves in one of those playoff spots, like, I don't know if they, they think it's worth it to go all in with that core. Like it, it like these next few weeks, I think mean everything for for how this season could shape up in terms of whether they want to be an all-in team or whether they're just cool with 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 sitting back and and we need to see it at this point like there's they they have those pieces there they kind of have to figure it out it's been 50 it's gonna be 50 games as of today like they need to do it yeah you'll uh find out soon if and whenever Bradtree living does his 
you know, press conference or if you talk to him ahead of the deadline, he will always say he takes his cues from the team, right? The team is going to dictate what they need, what they are, and what the general manager should be doing. Last year, I was all in on, you know, Bradtree Living needs to go and do whatever he can for this team to go as far as they can in the postseason because this might be their best shot yet because of the question marks around the future of Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk, and, and you know, is Jacob Markstrom going to play this well, you know, next year? We don't know. That was probably horrible foreshadowing on my part. I apologize for whatever I put into the universe on some of that stuff. But uh, this year... The Flames are still kind of in the the wait-and-see approach. I do wonder if they still end up being buyers because they're in this kind of window with with some of the contracts and the deals that they made in the summer. Um, and we know that Frank Saravalli, one of our friends from Daily Faceoff, has put the Flames in the buyers' camp uh, on his Flames deadline preview. And one of the players that you've mentioned on this chat and that you had a story on the athletic that I wanted to get to here, Julian, uh, is Timo Meyer. What can you tell yeah. us about the story that you have with Corey Massasak on the website looking at, you know, what's his value? What could it cost? And is there a deal to be made between the Flames and the San Jose Sharks around Timo Meyer, who's generating a ton of buzz heading into the trade deadline? I think the goal of that piece was just to illustrate how complicated uh, the idea of acquiring a Timo Meyer is. Like the big thing with him is is because of his contract and because of the offseason, that qualifying offer he could sign uh, at in the offseason could be up to ten mil, uh, and that could obviously for a team like Calgary that has as much money as they have tied up uh, in terms of salaries and the salary cap not going up that much that would make things very complicated in terms of trying to retain him long-term. So if you are going to somehow make a move for, for Timo Meyer, you're trying to think of it on the, on the rental side of things, right? And you might still have to ask San Jose to retain salary if that's the case. And and in my mind, thinking about it, like just at least just from my bird's eye view and, and not as someone who is like an insider, like a Frank or a Chris Johnston or anyone else like that, like, you hear Buffalo is interested. You, you, you're here in New Jersey's interested. You're like, he's, he's a top valued player on the trade boards for everybody for a reason. And I, I have to think that unless the flames uh, are able to find a way to offload salary, to make a deal work on their roster players, unless they are willing to go into their, their draft pick cupboard and be like, you know what? Fine. Dustin Wolf, Matthew Coronado, come on down. We're going to get Timo Meyer and we have a plan to sign him long-term. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I think just on the surface, it doesn't make as much sense, but at the same time, I like I think of all the players who are available uh, for, for, for trade, Timo Meyer, in terms of what he's able to do in terms of driving play, in terms of being a net front front presence, in terms of being a top power play option, in terms of being a valued scoring winger, I think he fits what the Flames need the most of some of the bigger targets out there. So like you, you kind of have to size it up a little bit and see if it is something the Flames could feasibly do. And nothing is ever impossible, but I think compared by compared by comparison to other NHL teams, I think the Flames are in real tough to try to make a Timo Meyer deal happen if they want to go down that road. 
Yeah, I, I personally don't see it as a realistic thing for the Calgary Flames. You know, Timo Meyer has a $6 million cap hit this year. He's a restricted free agent with that $10 million qualifying offer. So it, he doesn't really make sense as a rental because he, you know, will be an RFA at the end of the season. Then what, you just don't qualify him and, and let him go to unrestricted free agency. I feel like the team that potentially trades for and acquires Timo Meyer as a team that's going to want to sign him to a long-term contract, which would kick that $10 million QO kind of away, depending on what kind of deal they end up signing him to, whether it's in the $10 million range, whether it's more like an eight or nine, it's, it's a similar kind of contract structure as Matthew Kachuk's last year and that, you know, his deal was expiring and he had the $9 million qualifying offer otherwise, unless you sign him to that long-term deal. Um, and there's just going to be so many teams who see Timo Meyer as a natural fit for their hockey club at the deadline that the price for a guy like that is, is just going to be driven up. And do the flames really want to give up that many potential assets for a rental in a season where they haven't shown enough, you know, <laughs> like, is this team really going to be good enough with Timo Meyer to win a Stanley cup to make it to a cup final? I don't so, know. I mean, like, I think that's the big question, right? Yeah, like they might be a bit better, but it might not be enough. And if you've sacrificed all those assets uh, for, what, 30-something games less of, of Timo Meyer, that might not be worth it. My one thing, though, just this is just my opinion more than anything else. Yeah. We talk about the the moves that Bradshaw Living made in the offseason and extending a Jonathan Huberdeau and extending a Mackenzie Weger, and you signed Nazem Kadri to that deal. Like for me, like the Flames have this window now uh, with those players signed. But of course, because mm -hmm. like Uyghur's 28 and, and Jonathan Huberto's going to be 30 next year and Nazem Kadri's already over 30. Like there's a part of me that thinks like, okay, you're in the, if you're the Flames, you kind of have to go for it a little bit, right? Yeah. Like you can't have too many years where you're just like, all right, you know, we just have to just kind of sit back and not really do anything because every year yeah. that passes, you know, it's one year closer to especially those three players exiting their prime. And yes, you need those guys in the 23 to 28 range to come up and play well and fill in those gaps. That's a lot of pressure on Andrew Mangiapane. It's a lot of pressure on Dylan Dubé, Adam Ruzicka, Walker Dewar has inserted himself into that core now. Like, you're asking a lot for those guys to kind of pick up the slack. Jacob Peltier is getting put into minutes. He was playing at one point in the third period with Jonathan Huberto and Nassim Kadri. Like, there's a lot being expected yeah. from those young players to pick it up. But some of those older guys, I mean... I think if you're the Flames, you kind of sort of have to give them a chance to win almost every year. You kind of have them there, but also at the same time, like that doesn't mean you should sacrifice everything for a Timo Meyer. It might mean you you look at the rental market and you think, okay, uh, is there a rental player we can just get who doesn't cost that much, uh, who yeah. can fill that Tarasenko. void for us, right? Like Vladimir Tarasenko is an option. Ivan Barbashev is an option as well. Uh yeah, like there are there are pieces out there who you could do it and 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 maybe you give up like a low level prospect and a and a pick four, for example. I don't know if that puts sure. them over the top for this year, but if you're tree living, you have to make it count every year. Yeah, I'm with you. This is this is the window that they've kind of locked themselves into again with the contracts and the players, the the ages as you mentioned. I almost look at the flames window here as in Elias Lindholm's final two years of his deal so it's like this year and next so are you going to bring back 
Elias Lindholm, maybe if you re-extend him, maybe if you re-sign Lindholm in the summer of 2024, then that extends it a little bit. But I think that's when you start to look at it and go, okay, now what? Because if, if Lindholm goes as UFA, if uh, Tyler Toffoli goes as UFA, then you're kind of looking at your core of, of Caudry, Huberto, Mangiapane. I mean, Backlund's up that year too. So I think I kind of look at these next two years as, as pretty, <laughs> pretty important. So yeah, if you're, if you're Brad Tree Living, you probably want to, you want to take your cue from the team, but you also probably need to do something because of the window that you've opened up for yourself. Um, the, one of the other things to get into here, Chris Tanev's put on injured reserve, so not expected. And we already knew he wasn't expected to play uh, against Chicago or tonight against the Seattle Kraken. Uh, Brett Ritchie is activated off the injured reserve. He hasn't played since December 31st. He missed 11 straight games. I mean, when you look at last night against Chicago, probably one of the worst games I've seen them play this year. And then this huge matchup against the Seattle Kraken. There's so much that needs to be cleaned up from the Chicago game, and it's a tight turnaround. It's on the road now. Yes, we know all that. But, like, what are the key things that you're focusing on heading into this game, Julian, that they really need to just be better against the Kraken? Because these are critical points on the board here for the Flames. Establishing themselves from the jump. They did not do that against Chicago last night. They had a, as was described by Daryl Sutter, a sluggish start. They did not play well to start. In fact, up until that Jonathan Huberto goal, they were very shaky, uh, very loose with the puck, just not settled. And I mean, I, I guess that kind of speaks to why Chris Tanev is so important because he's such a stabilizing presence on and off the ice. Um, but yeah, they, they need to settle things down, take it easy. The one thing that's tough with Seattle, though, uh, they're a quick team. They have some guys on their team who are a little bit more wily veterans, but like they have some younger guys who can bring that speed and they have to find a way to kind of contain that speed as it's coming towards them while also hitting back with speed when they can, because they do have guys on their team like Amanjer or, or Dubé. And even Backman has a bit of quickness too, who can at least counter that. But I, I think against a Seattle team, I think it's all about just controlling the game as much as you can, even if you are on the road. Because uh, they can't afford to go into a game like what they did against Chicago yesterday, where they're they're not they're not ready to play. Like they just have to be ready to play. And we know we've said that at so many instances this year where they just haven't been. But they they should know the urgency. Uh, we, we a lot of people like to make the joke that after teams get blown up uh, in their previous game, they they do everything they can to turn a 180 in the next game. For the Flames, they have to make sure they do that. Seemed last night that they just had their eyes maybe on the bye week, ready for the beach, ready to hang out. Uh, let's got to make sure that they don't do that again tonight against the Kraken. Are you doing anything on the bye week, Julian, before we let you go? Are you going to take a little break? Uh, are you? Uh, I'm going to try. For... I'm going to try uh, a little bit of both. I'm probably going to work on some stuff. Uh, probably just going to be off the grid for a couple of days and just – hang out and and just like not be online that mysterious. much hopefully yeah just want to just want to bank stuff. some stuff gonna be off the grid yeah you know just bank some stuff you won't have it hear come from out me. Like, oh snap yeah that's the hope i don't want people <laughs> to hear from me that much great so we won't bug you next week because i do believe that there's still going to be hockey central so you won't be on don't worry we'll leave you alone next week it's all good it's all good whatever you whatever you need me to hang out i got you 
All right. Great stuff, my friend. Enjoy the bye week. Enjoy the game tonight. And hopefully the winter stays pretty mild for you in Calgary. Will do. And uh, uh, hopefully things are great with you. Peace. Thank you. There goes Julian McKenzie. He covers the Calgary Flames for the athletic. He was chatting with us on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. The guest hotline is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or delivery also available at 403-248-3344. That's all the time we have for today on Hockey Central and Sports at 960. Calgary Flames, Seattle Kraken playing in Seattle. That's 7 o'clock local time in Seattle Pacific, 8 o'clock mountain pregame right here on Sports at 960. The Fan at 7 o'clock with Pat Steinberg and Peter Lubardius. That's all coming up on your Home of the Flames.